Newsflash LT, the 2016 Wellness Summit is confirmed. Pop into your diary and get your tickets now at the super early bird rate. Be there on September 10th and 11th in Melbourne with 1,000 other like-minded wellness enthusiasts. And for a limited time, purchase your ticket at this incredible rate. Up until Christmas Day, five Wellness Summit tickets are yours for the price of two. That's better than two for one. That's two and a half for one. Bring a leg, bring an arm, bring your wellness tribe for less than 120 bucks per ticket for a never-seen-before format of the summit. And even better, every ticket purchased before Christmas goes into an incredible draw to win one ticket to the 2016 Wellness Breakthrough. I cannot believe we're actually giving this away. It's worth $3,000. Get excited, people. Get very excited. To get access to the biggest and best wellness summit ever and enter this special Christmas draw, go to thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for... That Paleo Show with your favourite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making a paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Kate Callahan. She's a holistic nutritionist, a dietitian, a personal trainer, and a lifestyle coach who specialises in hormone healing. She's got over 14 years of experience in health and fitness industry, and two and a half years as a nutrition expert for Sarah Wilson's I Quit Sugar program. So, welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to having a chat today. So you've obviously got a wealth of experience here, but you've also got some real personal experience in this journey and this health and wellness and particularly the hormonal stuff as well. So I think to start with, if you could share with us a little bit about your journey and how you first came into this whole health, wellness, fitness arena. Sure. Um, Okay, so it actually starts way back when I was about 16 or 17, Um, and I used to be quite the gym bunny, and I would go along religiously pretty much every day, and then I remember seeing a sign on the wall saying, would you like to get paid to go to the gym? And I thought, yes, I would actually. And so it started off with me doing my group fitness instructor course way back then um, and got into teaching classes, the Les Mills classes, so body pump, body attack, body step. Um, and then from there, I also went on to study uh, personal training as well and became a personal trainer. Um, so I was doing that while I was also still at school. From there, I went to university. Um, but to start with at university, I studied uh, media and communications and then went into public relations. So I had a science mind at high school, but for some reason I chose to go into arts. Who knows why, but that's what I did. Um, I came out and started working in public relations for a couple of years. Um, that was all good and well, um, but I had some health issues, some quite bad um, digestive issues. And so I went to see multiple doctors, but none of them could really give me any answer. Um, I was I was diagnosed with celiac disease. However, just going gluten-free didn't really help my digestive issues. And so then I had to kind of look into things a little bit deeper myself and start to research other options and other avenues. And on my journey, I, I came across the paleo lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this looks okay. And I, but I was a little bit dubious about it. And so I didn't really do much with it to start with. Um, <laughs> but then I started sort of tinkering, tinkering with it and my digestive issues got a lot better. Um, and so then I was still in PR and I thought, oh, I like PR but I don't love it. It's not really satisfying 
my soul as much as I would like it to be. And so I thought I'd really like to help other people get better and improve their health with food and lifestyle. And so I ditched public relations and I went back to university to study my second degree, which was nutrition and dietetics. Um, so that was very mainstream nutrition. <laughs> I wasn't exactly the favorite of the class when I <laughs> questioned people about carbohydrates and fats and grains and legumes, but I just put my head down and bum up and got through four years and came out a dietitian. Um, but during my studies, I went quite low carb paleo quite uh, low-carb, high-fat. So I remember doing a nutritional analysis on my diet and I was having about 70% fat, Mm. which is great for some people, but I was also a bit of a stress head um, doing multiple jobs and studying. um, And I was also still doing my group fitness, so doing quite intense exercise, sometimes up to 16 classes a week um, on a low-carb diet. And that spelt disaster for me. Um, Mm. I also had a really low body fat percentage of about 13%, which is about what you would see on a fitness competitor when they're up on the stage. So it's not a natural state for a woman to be in at all. Um, So as a result of this low body fat and low carbs and not eating enough to support my activity, my hormone system shut up shop essentially. So I, my period went missing in action um, and I became infertile. And I was diagnosed with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically where your brain stops communicating to your ovaries. And we can go into that a little bit more later if you want to. Yeah. Um, because I had insufficient energy, insufficient calories. Um, so basically to fix this, long story short, it was to eat more, exercise less and stress less, which is sounds easy but it's uh, not at all um anyway eventually i got my head out of the sand and did go down this path of healing myself um because we wanted to have a child and i was told that we wouldn't be able to fall pregnant naturally and i'd need um ivf Mm. or assisted reproductive technology but i'm stubborn (laughs) and i said no i will show you what i can do with food and lifestyle and I did. I got my period back and I restored my fertility and now I have a almost six month old baby. Oh that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's great. What an amazing story. And it's phenomenal that you've been able to do that. And and because so many women out there have similar experiences and similar issues. I mean it seems like these hormonal issues are becoming more and more prevalent. So we'll definitely talk about those a little bit later, but Let's go back to the start to start with. You said you stumbled across paleo. Um, where did you find it? What was your first experience with paleo? My first experience, I've always been a bit of a nerd. So my first experience was actually um, Chris Cresser. Yeah. <laughs> so I was right dubious about it. But um, then I started listening to his podcast and it was his podcast on cholesterol, which uh, if you've ever listened to his podcast on cholesterol, they're stupidly long and kind of boring. But <laughs> I found them really interesting. And because it was very sciencey, I thought, okay, he's onto something. It makes sense. Um, I understand the biochemistry. Um, and, yeah, I was, I was convinced. And also uh, Rob Wolf as well, of course. I think everyone starts with Rob Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a pretty popular spot to start, isn't he? Yeah. So why do you think it was that just going gluten-free didn't work for you? Um, I think the, well, I was still following a low-fat diet, so that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but I was including 
gluten-free grains. Um, and I mean, many people tolerate gluten-free grains like quinoa and amaranth and buckwheat, um, if you call them grains or seeds, pseudo-grains. Yep. But often when you go gluten-free, if you're having the gluten-free versions of the gluten-filled products, they're often <clears throat> just as bad as, if not worse than, the gluten-filled products because yep. they're, they're filled with preservatives. They, they taste like cardboard. Um, and they're loaded with sugar as well because they do taste yeah. like cardboard if, if they don't have sugar. Um, so I was still eating these really inflammatory foods, so not really giving my digestive system or my whole body a chance to heal adequately because yep. I was, I think I was 24, 23 when I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So I'd had it all my life. So there's a fair bit of damage done to my um intestines that I needed to heal. Yeah. So let's talk about fat because it seems like that's been a really crucial part of your journey. You know, you just mentioned that initially you were doing the low-fat diet um, and then you went to the high-fat diet and, and I guess neither of those were working particularly well for you. So perhaps you can talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, are the, what were the issues happening with the low-fat and what were the issues mm-hmm. happening with the high-fat? Well, I think the low-fat, the issues were because I wasn't having fats, I was hungry. So it was a it became a very heavy grain-based diet. So it was those inflammatory foods still in there. And I also wasn't having those healthy fats like butter, which helped to nourish the intestinal lining um, and coconut oil and all those healthy fats, which really helped to to nourish the body and heal um, and provide um, an, a pathway for um, fat-soluble vitamins, so vitamins A, D, E, and K, which are all really essential for healing as well. As well so, as hormones, obviously. As well as hormones, exactly. Um, yeah, the, the base of the hormones. So that's probably why the low-fat diet wasn't working. The high-fat diet wasn't working, um, one, because it wasn't working because it was very satiating, for one, and that's going to sound odd to some people. But because it was so satiating, I wasn't eating enough food for my requirements because yeah. I was just wasn't hungry. It switched off my hunger. Um, and so simultaneously with that high fat diet was the low carbohydrate amount, uh, content. And I needed those carbohydrates to fuel my workouts, which were, um, glycolytically demanding, which basically means they require glucose for, for fuel. So I was essentially starving myself in all directions. Um, and at the same time going so low carb with that high fat, it. I was starving my gut bacteria, so (laughs) over time making my digestive issues worse again and also messing up my thyroid. So I ended up having uh, hypothyroidism as well. So I really put myself down a rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So why do you think it is that some people seem to be able to manage to do quite high volumes of exercise on a low-carb diet and Mm. other people struggle with that? And do you think that's a gender difference perhaps as well? I definitely think there's a gender difference between it. Females will go off the rails a lot faster than males. Our hormones are a lot more susceptible to damage um, Mm. than males. Um, Why some people can tolerate it better than others, even so say if we're just looking at females and why some females can tolerate it better than others, I think we need to take into account the whole picture of what someone's doing. So if so, someone might be doing high amounts of exercise but they might be fueling themselves really, really well. Um, so they might have low carbohydrates, but they might be quite fat adapted and be okay with that. And they might also have a stress-free um, lifestyle. Mm. 
whereas I had everything compounding. Um, and it also comes down to individuality. I mean, we can say that in theory this is what will work and this is what won't work, but then someone could turn around and say, hey, I've done this for years and years and years and I feel great and all my um, blood markers and everything are perfect and who am I to say you shouldn't do that if they're feeling great. Yeah, all right. So let's talk a bit about body fat because Mm -hmm. you mentioned before getting down to just 13% body fat and and what we know is that that the fat that's stored in our body can be – can have a big impact on our hormones. It can be endocrine producing. And mm-hmm. so obviously we see that a lot uh, in our modern society with people who do have too much body fat and then that mm-hmm. can disrupt their hormones and have an effect in that way. But obviously for in your case, too little body fat then was also disrupting your hormone balance as well. So um, let's talk about that. How, how does the fat in your body affect your hormones and, and what did you have to do about that to try and redress? Yes, that's a great question. Uh, so... A couple of things. Uh, One, estrogen is produced in fat cells. It's also produced in the ovaries, but it's produced in fat cells. Uh, So if you have insufficient fat on your body, then you're going to have insufficient estrogen. And estrogen is one of the main female sex hormones, which is important for a healthy menstrual cycle and fertility. But it's also important for bone strength. So it prevents the breakdown of bone. Um, So what I didn't mention before was before I started healing myself, I actually had a bone scan and my bone density was pretty suboptimal, which was kind of scary in my mid to late 20s. Um, And that was because of my low body fat and my low estrogen um, levels and then another another reason the low body fat is an issue. So we have another hormone called leptin, which is produced in our fat cells. And leptin's kind of our it's like a it tells the brain whether or not there's sufficient energy around. So if you've got ample fat stores, ideally you should have ample leptin. Now there is a, an issue with leptin resistance, but well that's another story. Um, so ideally you should have. If you've got ample fat, you've got ample leptin, and that tells your brain, I'm full, I'm safe, there's plenty of energy around, we're not in danger, it's all good. If you don't have sufficient body fat, then you're probably not going to be producing enough leptin, and so then your brain's going to get the message, hold on, I don't have a lot of energy around, it's looking like I'm going into a famine, this is a bit of a stressed state. So there's a couple of things that happen there. So if you have inadequate leptin, then your brain is not going to get the message to the, the st- to stimulate something called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which is in your hypothalamus. And the role of gonadotropin-releasing hormone is to tell your pituitary in the brain to release two hormones called luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. And they're both really important for a healthy menstrual cycle and ovulation. And they tell your ovaries to produce estrogen and progesterone. So... If you don't have adequate body fat, you don't have adequate leptin, gonadotropin-releasing hormones not released, follicle-stimulating hormone not released, luteinizing hormone not released, estrogen and progesterone not released, menstrual cycle stops, ovulation stops, you're infertile. Does that make sense? It does. It makes heaps of sense. And and I guess perhaps, you know, there might be some of the guys listening to this podcast thinking, oh, this doesn't really relate to me. Um, But, you know, as we said, the, the, the... Ladies can be seemingly more susceptible to some of these hormone disruptions, but certainly we're seeing increased incidence of hormone disruption in men. And I, and I think you know all you need to do is watch some late night TV and see some of the ads that are on there to realise that there's quite a bit of hormone disruption in men. It might be mm-hmm. affecting their 
reproductive function, their sexual function, you know, all those sort of things. Um, and so these sort of topics are really important for the guys as well, aren't they? Definitely, definitely. I think that a big thing affecting men <clears throat> is the food, so inflammatory foods, which is going to um, increase insulin and which is going to increase an enzyme called aromatase, which will cause uh, testosterone to be converted to estrogen. And so men are becoming more estrogenized, so to say. That's not an actual yeah. technical term, but that's what my sleep-deprived brain's coming up with now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, and do you think that's related to the beer gut as well? Definitely. Definitely. And I think stress plays a huge role in it as well, a huge, huge role. And also the endocrine disruptors that we have, um, in the environment and in plastics um, and in foods like soy, I think they all play a role. So I was about to say let's talk to the girls, but but actually, uh, you know, what I want to talk about is is body image issues because mm. I think a lot of what we're talking about here can come back to body image issues and it's a big contributor to some of this stuff that we're talking about. But, you know, as I said, I, I don't want to just talk about the girls because what we're now seeing is that it's becoming more and more an issue for the guys as well in terms of, um, you know, particularly with the advent of things like Facebook and Instagram and, you know, looking at all the other guys out there wanting to have the six-pack abs, wanting to have the body. You know, I think it's happening to the guys as well as the girls now in our modern society. And, and a lot of that is, you know, wanting to get leaner, wanting to get down to that, you know, maybe that 13% body fat that you spoke about. But, it's not necessarily a healthy way to go. So, Kate, what would you like to say to those people um, about, you know, what they should be focusing on? Oh, so much, so much <laughs> to compress it into a little package. Um, yeah, body image issues are so, so prevalent and it's so sad and I, I went through them myself. And um, it's starting younger and younger, so it's quite concerning. Yeah. What I would say is... If nothing else, try and focus on your ability as opposed to your aesthetics. So when you're training, train for uh, performance purposes. Train for enjoyment because it makes you feel good. Focusing on how you feel and also focusing not just on yourself internally but how you um, how you relate to everyone else around you. So focusing on your experiences of life as opposed to focusing just on how you look because you've become so so blinded by everything else that's going on that life will pass you by. Yeah. And do you really want to get to 90 years old and go, great, I spent all this time being so concerned about having six-pack abs? Or do you want to go, hey, I may not have had six-pack abs, but I really enjoyed all this time with my family, with my friends. I got to have all these experiences and be focused and be present with these experiences because I wasn't distracted by my body. Now, in saying that, it's easier said than done. <laughs> so I would also say be kind to yourself and don't expect things to happen overnight. So if you think, okay, I'm going to really work on improving my body image, it's not like you start today and then tomorrow you're going to go, awesome, I feel amazing, I'm completely fine with my body 100%. That It doesn't happen like that. I wish it did. Um, it's a journey and it's a non-linear progression. So there'll be days when you have really crap fat days and you just feel horrible and that's okay. And then you get back on the wagon and you'll feel really good. And it's just embracing that journey and being really, really kind to yourself along the way and telling yourself, I love you, I appreciate you, I respect you. Because when you respect yourself, then you're going to treat it well and then you're going to feel good mentally and physically and that's going to help develop that positive, positive body image as well. 
I love that. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I think that's so many good messages within that. And, you know, one of them is that we all have crap fat days. You know, that yeah. is absolutely <laughs> like everyone on the planet. You know, yeah. I had a day the other day. I felt totally bloated. I was feeling really ordinary. And I was like, what is going on? And everyone has those days. And that's perfectly normal. And one of the things you said was be kind to yourself. I think that's beautiful. You know, that is... You know, if we could all just do that, if we could all just be kind to ourselves or at least be kinder to ourselves, mm-hmm. then, then that's going to take us a huge way across the journey. And then the other thing I loved that you said was focusing on performance and focusing on what you can do. So it's kind of like focusing on what you love about your body rather than focusing on what you hate about your body. And that sounds so simple, but it's such a huge difference in approach, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that, Kate. Let's talk about what you did then. So you said you're going to eat more, exercise less, stress less. So what changed functionally for you in your diet when you went from that really low, or sorry, that really high fat diet, that really low body fat? What did you change in terms of what you ate? How did you shift that around? Okay, so I increased my carbs a lot. Um, So I I didn't go and eat bread or pasta or cereal or anything. I still stuck to a a pretty paleo diet. template so lots and lots of sweet potato potatoes parsnip um, a little bit of fruit Um, I also included things like quinoa and white rice they agreed with me and they were an easy way to increase my carbs Um, I didn't really decrease my fats a lot because overall my calories were insufficient so I was only having about 1300 calories a day when I should have been having about 2500 on the amount of exercise that I was doing. Um, So I just needed to increase everything, basically. Um, So (laughs) it was combining the fats and the carbs to help me put on weight. So I really bumped everything up. Um, And I also... So, so I'd have carbs with every single meal, meal and snacks. I was only having three meals a day before that. So I had to include snacks to get my calories up as well um, and included carbohydrates in there. Um, I I didn't go off the rails with junk food. A lot of people say to heal um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, you should just eat everything and just go and eat some Mars bars and Twinkies and muffins and things like that. I don't agree with that. Um, One, because a lot of the time people with HA will really care about their bodies, um, but they'll also care about the nutrition that they're giving themselves. So they won't necessarily have an eating disorder, but their eating might be disordered. So disordered eating, but not an eating disorder, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so telling them to go and eat Mars bars and Twinkies and things is probably going to mess with their head more so than than anything else and make the situation worse and make them go, no, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to stay where I am. I'm happy where I am. I feel good. So if you can include those nourishing foods along the way, you're going to feel good as your body changes. And that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that? I knew my brain well, would have a bit of a... <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I think you've sort of covered what you've changed there in terms of your diet. So what about exercising less? How did that go for you? And what did you have to shift physically and mentally in order to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the mental thing was a big shift. Um, so I basically had to cut out most of my exercise, my intense exercise, which was hard because it was my job as well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was at that point, I think I was teaching maybe seven or eight body pump, body step, body attack classes per week. And so I did this gradually. I didn't just go, right, I'm cutting everything out from day dot. Um, because I knew that was going to be too much for me mentally and probably physically as well. 
So I started by cutting out body attack and just sticking with a couple of body pump classes and a couple of body step classes a week. And then over time, I cut those down. And at the same time, I increased my walking in nature and I increased my yoga, so my vinyasa yoga. Um, So incorporating more of these gentle restorative activities as I decreased the more intense cardio activities, which helped because I don't, I don't think people should just sit on the couch to recover. That's not going to help you recover. Yeah. We, need, we need to move our bodies. Um, but that helped with my mental state, especially yoga. So it helped me to focus on my body's ability as opposed to its aesthetics. So you can set yourself all these performance goals in yoga. So, you know, you might want to get in there and stand on your head or you might want to be able to do the splits. And it feels amazing to be able to do that and to know that your body's capable of doing that. So switching things around. So not cutting out, switching things around. I love it. I love it. And I reckon you're really hitting on some myths that really exist out there in society because the amount of people who come in to see me in my practice who've seen a doctor or seen some sort of therapist who've been told, you just need to eat and eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Just eat stuff. And Mm -hmm. who've been told, you should do no exercise at all because your adrenals are fatigued or whatever it happens to be. Um is amazing. And and I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's important to keep doing those things which nourish your body, that nourish your adrenals, that nourish your hormones, um, as well as, you know, cutting back on some of the things where you're overdoing it, which is important, but doing nothing and just, you know, giving it all away doesn't make a lot of sense either, does it? No. And often people come to me and they say, I've stopped doing everything and they'll be in this full on slump. Yeah. Heading towards heading towards depression and we don't want that either (laughs) yeah so well that kind of takes us on to the third step of your journey you said eat more you said exercise less then you said stress less so what did you do to change your stress levels in your life Mm, stress less should really be number one (laughs) (laughs) psychological stress on its own can cause hypothalamic amenorrhea and an array of hormone imbalances um so what did i do so yoga was a big big part of that um deep belly breathing so with my clients, I often start with simple things. So it might not, I'm not going to tell them to sit down for an hour and meditate in lotus position because it's probably not realistic. So I start with deep belly breathing first thing in the morning. So 10 deep breaths right deep into the belly, feeling your belly expand as you inhale and feeling it fall as you exhale to activate the, the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest and reproduce system. Um, there's a yoga pose called legs up the wall pose, which is exactly what it sounds like. You lie down, you stick your legs at the wall, and that helps to calm the central nervous system as well. Um, what else did I do for my stress? Um, affirmations, which sounds really woo-woo, um, but I really got into Louise Hay and really started practicing affirmations every single day. So telling myself, um, I love you, you are worthy. Um, I also told myself, you are strong, you are healthy, you are fertile because that's something that I was focusing on at the time. Um, so affirmations definitely helped. Gratitude, I kept a gratitude journal, which I have my husband to thank for. He, that was his recommendation. But each night I would write down three things that I was grateful for um, and that helped to keep my mind on the positive as opposed to the negative and really helped to reduce my stress there as well. Nice. And, you know, I love those things, Kate. And I'm like you. I used to think they were woo-woo until I went to uni and started Mm -hmm. learning neurology and started learning Mm -hmm. about neuroplasticity and how the brain could change. And I realized that there's actually a real science behind it and that it's a very concrete physical thing that happens and that changes. And then I went, well, that's all right with me now. (laughs) And it works. Yeah, it does. You kind of had to admit that all those people who we thought were woo-woo 
even though they did, but perhaps didn't even know the science behind it, but they were on the right track, weren't they? Exactly, and <laughs> it's free and it makes a huge difference. There's, you've got nothing to lose, really. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about your book, Kate, because you've written a book which is called Healing Hypothalamic Amenorrhea, and that's quite a mouthful. So um, <laughs> first of all, let's just get really detailed. Like, what is hypothalamic amenorrhea? Can you give us a, a really sort of succinct version of what that is? Succinct version. Okay. So your hypothalamus, so if we break it up, hypothalamic relates to your hypothalamus, which is in your brain. It's kind of your master control gland. It regulates everything in your body. Um, amenorrhea basically means no period um, for three months or longer. So hypothalamic amenorrhea is period goes missing in action due to a dysfunction of the hypothalamus. Um, so basically it means you're brain stops communicating to your ovaries, your ovaries stop producing sex hormones, your menstruation stops and ovulation stops and you become infertile. Um, And the causes are um, insufficient energy availability, so not enough energy uh, food intake or excess exercise, so burning off too many calories. Um, Psychological stress can cause it as well. Um, low body fat, and also the oral contraceptive pill can cause it. Um, and the consequences are, as I mentioned, infertility, um, osteoporosis, um, or increased risk of osteoporosis, um, and increased risk of heart disease as well. And so what do you share in your book as far as how to heal that? Uh, so I go into I go more into detail about what HA is, what causes it, um, why it's a problem, my journey, um, and I also share strategies for healing. So a whole chapter dedicated to stress and stress management and looking at the mindset side of things and developing a healthy body image, um, a healthy relationship with your body. Um, I talk about diet, so going into everything you need to focus on, what you need to include for food and what sorts of foods will, say, if you need the amount of carbohydrates you need and where you can get that from and the amount of protein that you need and where you can get that from. Um, And then I provide an exercise plan and why you need to choose certain types of exercise and avoid other types. And a little bit about supplements. And then I have some recipes and a meal plan in the back as well. Um, But the thing I love most about my ebook is I got a whole lot of other health practitioners and also just other women who had experienced hypothalamic amenorrhea or hormone imbalances or period issues to share their story and how they healed. Um, I got them to share their story in my book, which is amazing. There's so many inspirational stories in there. It's probably the favorite part of my book is what everyone else wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Just farming it out. That's great. (laughs) Well, that sounds great, Kate. So obviously people can get that from your website, which is www.theholisticnutritionist.com. They can find you on Facebook at The Holistic Nutritionist, on Instagram as The Holistic Nutritionist, and also on Twitter as TH underscore nutritionist. So thank you so much for coming on, Kate. I love the information you've shared with us today. I know there's going to be so many people benefiting from this and certainly sharing it with their friends who have issues in these areas. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Brett. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.